In recent years, it feels like we've hit the golden age of forensic technology. Jane and John Doe's are regaining their lost identities, and cold cases that once stumped investigators are finally getting solved. However, we still have an abundance of unanswered questions. In today's episode of Cold Case Detective, we'll be exploring the cases of two horrific serial killers who are still unidentified. The Stone Man. The serial killer, known only as the Stone Man, is one of the most prominent and feared criminals in India. His reign of terror lasted for years, but he has never been caught due to a lack of witnesses, evidence, and, according to some, the ineptitude of the local police force. In Mumbai, in 1985, a series of gruesome and seemingly random murders began. Over the course of around two years, 12 people were murdered on the streets of the city. The areas of Sion and King's Circle in particular were stalked by an unidentified killer. The perpetrator would locate unsuspecting victims who were often homeless, sleeping alone in a desolate area. Once the killer found their target, they would use a single stone or slab weighing around 30 kilograms to crush the victim's skull. In the vast majority of these cases, the victims could not be identified as they had no form of ID and no relatives or associates who could name them. Six separate slayings occurred before the local authorities realized that their homeless population was being targeted and that all of the murders so far were the work of one person. While one victim, a homeless waiter, actually managed to escape being bludgeoned to death, the area in which he'd been attacked was too dark for him to have made out the face of his assailants. Thus, this glimmer of hope quickly vanished. Very little is known about the Stone Man. Due to the fact the perpetrator lifts and drops a heavy concrete stone or slab, authorities are working on the assumption that he is a tall, well-built man. The weapon used is often taken from nearby and is never brought to the scene, while the victims in each case are social outcasts, described as lunatics, beggars, and rickshaw pullers. According to a Los Angeles Times article written in 1989, detectives in India hadn't even thought to keep the murder weapons. They also admitted there was a lack of concern surrounding the case as the victims were, quote, unwanted members of society who did not contribute to it. These people did not even have voting rights. The first victim, whose life was taken on June 4th of 1985, was a woman who made her living by selling moonshine on the streets. The second victim was killed exactly one month later, on July 4th. For many, part of the reason this heinous crime has not been solved is due to sloppy police work paired with a change of leadership in the case. Early on, the deputy commissioner originally in charge of the investigation was ousted. 
He had shared his own intricate theories about what was happening and who the perpetrator was, and had even created psychological profiles of the killer. But he was replaced with somebody who, at one time, suspected that the perpetrator was some kind of death sorcerer. As a result of the crimes, the Stone Man moniker became a household name. Those unfortunate enough to be sleeping on the streets decided it was safer to do so in groups. They also set up shifts, so there was always one person awake through the night. They believed that together they could apprehend the killer, should he be foolish enough to approach the group. But he never did. Information on the actual investigation into the Stone Man murders is scarce. Reportedly, authorities did bring in sniffer dogs to help them at one time, but the canines could not track the perpetrator's scent, and so no new leads were found with this method. Theories in the case are also hard to come by. As previously mentioned, one detective behind the case believed that a death sorcerer was involved, while another theory states that there is some kind of police cover-up that stopped anyone from getting to the truth of the matter. However, both of these theories are ultimately unsubstantiated. In 1987, a rag picker in Matanga, a locality in Mumbai, was hacked to death. For a time, police treated this case as being linked to the work of the Stone Man, but no evidence was ever actually found to connect the two. By the middle of 1988, slayings of the homeless population in the city had stopped. However, that isn't where the story of the Stone Man ends, because in 1989, the execution started up once more. This time, however, they were occurring in the city of Kolkata. The first victim of these horrendous murders died from head injuries in June of that year. 12 more people were slain in the following six months. Once again, all the victims were homeless people who slept alone in dimly lit areas of the city. Upon the discovery of the crimes, massive numbers of police were deployed in various parts of the city where they patrolled the streets by night. Numerous arrests were made during this time, and afterwards, the executions stopped. No incriminating evidence could be tied to any of the suspects arrested, however, and they were all ultimately released. It is unknown for certain whether or not the Kolkata killings were carried out by the same person who committed the slayings in Mumbai, but due to the multiple similarities, the cases are treated as being connected, and the perpetrator is thought to be the same person, although it's entirely possible that some sort of copycat killer attacked the victims in Kolkata. In 2019, a case that saw a 35-year-old man bludgeoned to death with a stone reignited fears that the infamous serial killer had returned. However, it appears that the man was slain after a fight with several of his friends. Another killer, known as the Guwahati Stone Man, was arrested in 2009. He was a 22-year-old drug addict who took the lives of seven beggars earlier that year. The name Stone Man still strikes fear into the hearts of those living in India. To this day, the perpetrator is still unknown, with police no closer to finding him than they were 35 years ago. The Frankfurt Slasher 
The Frankfurt Slasher is the moniker given to an unidentified man who committed a series of atrocious crimes in the Frankfurt region of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania between 1985 and 1990. On the morning of August 26th, 1985, at around 8.30 AM, transit workers found the partially clothed body of a woman in a train yard in the northeast section of Frankfurt. The victim was 52-year-old Helen Patent, and her end had been a violent one. She'd been laid out in a provocative manner, with her legs spread and her blouse undone. Later examinations of the body noted that she had been sexually assaulted. She had been stabbed 47 times, mostly in the head and chest, and her abdomen had been slashed in a way that revealed her organs. This, however, was just the beginning of the horror. Several months later, on January 3rd, 1986, just a few miles away from where the first victim was found, another body was discovered on Rittner Street, block 1400. 68-year-old Anna Carroll was found lying on the floor of her bedroom after somebody noticed her apartment door was ajar. Like Helen, Anna had been left partially undressed, nude from the waist down, and had been positioned by the killer. She had received six stab wounds to her back and had been gutted. The kitchen knife used in the attack had been left at the scene. From here, it was almost an entire year before the grisly Frankfurt slasher struck again. On Christmas day of 1986, 64-year-old Susanna Osleff was found in a similar way to both Helen and Anna. She bore the same wounds that Anna did and was found in her own apartment on Richmond Street. Then just weeks later on January 8th, 1987, the body of Jean Durkin was found beneath a storage truck by a restaurant employee, just off Frankfurt Avenue. She was a 28-year-old homeless woman and had been stabbed 74 times and sexually assaulted. Like the other victims, she had been positioned and was naked from the waist down. Jean had lived a relatively normal life up until the late 1960s when her brother died. After this, she began to hear voices and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. She was often seen sleeping in the doorway of an abandoned bakery just a few doors down from a local bar called Goldie's and had been homeless for the last five years. Those who were familiar with her told authorities that she was not a woman who was easily overpowered. Six policemen had once tried to arrest Jean and had ultimately given up because of how much she struggled. This led authorities to theorize that perhaps she knew the person who had taken her life and that she had let her guard down. They also learned that another woman, a Goldie's customer named Michelle Martin, had argued with the 28-year-old over a blanket the night before she was executed but Michelle was ultimately ruled out of the investigation. Slowly, investigators began to put together the pieces. It couldn't be a coincidence that four women in the Frankfurt area had been abused and attacked in such a violent and hate-filled way. Investigators finally made a connection between all four of the victims. They had all been regulars at Goldie's, a popular bar on Frankfurt Avenue. The area was well known for its drug users and had a reputation as a nightlife hub. 
There is some speculation as to whether or not the victims of the slasher were sex workers, but this hasn't been confirmed either way. With this discovery, authorities formed a task force and the area was canvassed. A female bartender at Goldie's was questioned and she reported recognizing most of the victims, even noting that Jean usually came in so she could get warm. She also stated her belief that a customer was guilty of the slayings, although she did not provide a description or any further details. It was uncovered that Susanna had been in the bar three days before her murder and that she was always actively social while in the establishment. However, Anna was noted to have kept to herself and bought her own drinks. Around this time, authorities decided to tell the media there was no connection between the crimes. This was perhaps to prevent panic among those who lived in the city. After this, the slaying stopped for a year, only to pick back up again in January of 1988, when 66-year-old Margaret Vaughan was found dead. She was discovered lying in the foyer of her 4900 apartment block on Penn Street and had been stabbed 29 times. This time, however, investigators had a small piece of luck. A barmaid recalled seeing Margaret the previous night with a middle-aged white man described as having a round face and glasses and who walked with a limp. She recalled enough details that a composite sketch could finally be drawn up and was distributed throughout the city. The police department appealed to the public for help, but unfortunately, no successful leads came from this. On January 19th, 1989, 30-year-old Teresa Sciortino was found in her apartment where she lived alone on Arrett Street. She was discovered face up, wearing only white socks with stab wounds to her arms, face, and chest. She had been stabbed 25 times and had been sexually assaulted with a section of wood. A kitchen knife determined to be the murder weapon was found at the scene and a bloody shoe print had been left behind, although it was never matched to anybody. The neighbors who were questioned told police that they recalled hearing a struggle in her apartment, followed by a loud thump, like an object being thrown to the floor. However, they neglected to do anything about it and didn't think much of it at the time. Teresa had reportedly been seen with a middle-aged white man just after 6 p.m. and the scuffle had been heard shortly after this time. As expected at this point, the 30-year-old was also a regular at Goldie's. The Frankfurt slasher was quiet for over a year after Teresa's death. It wasn't until April 19th, 1990 that they struck again. 46-year-old Carol Dowd was discovered at around 2 a.m. by a patrolling police officer in an alley near a fish market. She had been stabbed 36 times and her organs were revealed by a slash. Upon looking into Carol's past, however, police established another important connection between several of their victims. Teresa, Carol, and Jean had all been in and out of psychiatric wards in the years leading up to their death. Teresa was still an outpatient under treatment at the time of her murder. Police then shifted their attention to the fish market where Carol was found and began to question the employees. They focused on a black man named Leonard Christopher in particular, 
who not only lived in the area, but also knew one of the victims, Margaret Vaughan. He was 39 years old and told police that he'd been with his girlfriend on the night of Carol's murder, but his partner told police that she was alone all night. Without an alibi, Leonard became law enforcement's number one suspect, and it wasn't long before they arrested him, despite the fact there was no blood, no motive, and no weapon to tie the young man to the crime, and the fact that multiple people had seen the women with white men before their murders. Leonard was arrested on May 5th, 1990. Witness statements were a mixed bag. Those who knew him claimed he was of good character and had been nowhere near the murder scenes, while two witnesses claimed they'd watched Leonard and Carol walk into an alley together around the time of her death. His description did not match most accounts of the man who was last seen with the victims, including Carol herself. On June 20th, the 39-year-old stood trial for murder. A few months later, on September 6th, 1990, the body of 30-year-old Michelle Martin, who also went by Michelle Denner, was found in her apartment. She'd been stabbed 23 times, her organs had been exposed, and her body had been positioned. She frequented Goldie's and was also a woman who'd received psychiatric care in recent years. She also lived just three blocks from Carol and lived on the same street as Teresa. Not only this, but she was the same woman who had argued with Jean the night before Jean was killed. Michelle had also been seen the day before her death with a white middle-aged man who fit the original description given of the slasher. Despite the fact that Leonard Christopher could not have carried out this murder as he was in jail awaiting his sentence, the jury was not told about this crime. Leonard was ultimately convicted on December 12th, 1990 and sentenced to life in prison, where he later died from cancer. He spent his life maintaining his innocence. Aside from Leonard, little is known about other suspects who could be the Frankfurt Slasher. One article from early 2019 by NBC states that there was a suspect who referred to himself as a minister who disappeared after being questioned by police, but not before DNA was taken. A CBS article elaborates further by claiming that the perpetrator posed as a counselor offering guidance and consolation, and that he rented an office in a nearby church. Reportedly in 2008, the police got word that their prime suspect had died. He had moved away after being questioned and subsequently the slayings had stopped. This suspect has never been publicly named. It seems that he is yet to be conclusively connected to any of the crimes. For a short time, the case of Catherine Jones, a 29-year-old woman found dead in January of 1987 on the street, was believed to be connected to the Frankfurt Slasher. She was found frozen and partially dressed, but she had been bludgeoned to death. It appears today that her case is not considered to be the work of the Slasher. New investigators on the case acknowledge the fact that Leonard was most certainly wrongfully convicted. The Frankfurt Slasher case is still open and to this day remains unsolved. And there you have the facts. 
please leave a comment down below with your own theories and speculations. And remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. If you're still hungry for true crime content, you can check out the Cold Case Detective podcast by following the link below. Thank you for watching. Stay alert, stay safe, and I'll see you next time.